0: Well, Today we bring to a conclusion our sermon series that we've been in over the past several weeks on the fruit of the Spirit. We didn't get a chance to cover all nine fruit in Paul's fruit basket of, of uh, character qualities from God, but today we are talking about the fruit of faith. The fruit of faith, or should we say it is the fruit of faithfulness? This one particular fruit of the Spirit, among all of them, possesses some ambiguity as to how to read, how to translate, how to understand this particular fruit. Is it faith, as in having a sense of belief and trust in God, or is it faithfulness? as in showing a sense of fidelity or devotion and, and loyalty to God. There's definitely a relationship between these two words, but, but we tend to use them a little differently. In Galatians 5, to 23, the passage in Scripture where we have, have the fruit of the Spirit listed, we have here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law. Well, here, this is the ESV translation, which, like many other modern day translations, has faithfulness as its translation. And several other translations, Uh, read it this way too, such as the NIV, the the New King James Version, and the New Revised Standard Version. But in the King James Version, also known as the Authorized English Version of the Bible, uh, this this passage is uh, translated as as faith and not faithfulness. The Greek word used here in this Galatians list of fruit is pistis, which means faith. For example, we see this word in the familiar passage from Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Here the word is used as a noun, faith, just like in Galatians. There's another related Greek word to this word. Uh, this word is, is pisteos, which is the adjectival form of faith, which we bring into English as faithful. This this word is, is more descriptive with with a little more uh, with a little different usage. And we see this word in such places like 1 Timothy 1:12, where Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. There appears to be a, a limitation of some kind. Uh, going on here between, between the, the ancient Greek language and the modern English language. In Greek, there is no word that, that takes the, the adjectival form of faith, that, that we say faithful, and then taking this, this adjectival form, faithful, and then, and then turning it into a noun, which is, which is what we do all the time in, in English. This is how we get a word like faithfulness. See, in, in English, we, we can nominalize our words. But in Greek, uh, it, this doesn't happen so much. It, it doesn't do this so much for individual words. It, it can do this more for whole sentences, but, but not for, for this particular word, pistis. Well, in, in Paul's list of fruit in Galatians here, uh, he is listing all character qualities in the form of nouns love joy peace patience kindness goodness etc these these are, are nouns so if if we're trying to stick more strictly with how the ancient greek language works it would be better to translate this uh this word pistis simply as faith uh, because it's it's a noun <clears throat> And this is exactly what the King James Version does. And this is their thinking behind translating it like this, Uh, because the word in Greek, pistis, is technically a noun. But the thing is, many translators and interpreters today feel that that what Paul is is meaning and what what he's trying to get at here in in using uh, this this noun pistis is, is the fruit of being faithful. And not simply faith. Faithful is more is more descriptive, which 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 can carry a sense of being full of faith, right? Um, and and in and in English we would we would nominalize this word and and bring it into English as as faithfulness, <clears throat> uh, but but we tend to use this word faithfulness a, a bit differently than than the word faith. So, the question then is, uh, as, as a fruit of the Spirit here, is it faith or is it faithfulness? Or is it both? In our passage this morning from the Gospel of Luke, we have both senses of this word at work here faith and faithfulness are both nicely illustrated for us to help us get a better sense of of what this particular fruit of the spirit is all about even if there is some ambiguity present here uh, as to what its meaning and and usage actually is we, we get a nice illustration going on here in this passage and and luke tells us that that he begins the the passage telling us that that Jesus enters the city of Capernaum and immediately Jesus is approached by some elders of the Jews. These elders were sent to Jesus by a certain centurion whose name we we don't know. And this centurion has a servant who was was ill. He was very sick and and in fact, he was about to die. Luke tells us this and, and, and then goes on to say that, that the centurion sent these elders to Jesus to persuade Jesus to come and heal his sick servant. Now, a centurion was a Roman officer, a, mi- a military commander who was in charge of a 100 soldiers at least. This man here was a, a higher ranking military man who, who therefore was a, a Gentile. He was not Jewish. He belonged to the Roman military and he was stationed in Israel um, because Israel at the time was under Roman occupation, Roman rule. And so there was a constant Roman military presence throughout Israel. And the usual relationship between Roman military personnel, soldiers, and, and the, the common Jewish person, the, the Jewish people, this, this relationship was, was not so good. Uh, most of the Jewish people despised the, the Roman soldiers and, and their presence in their land, in their country. But this particular Roman centurion was different. It appears that, that he has been in this region of Israel for quite some time now, and he has means, he has power, he has influence. But it seems like during his time of duty here in, in this region of Israel, he has managed to use his, his, his power and influence to, to actually build good relations with the Jewish people. Luke says in verse, verses 4 to 5, uh, and, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, referring to the centurion, for he, he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. This centurion seems not only to have a respect for the Jewish people and their customs, but but also respect for their God, Yahweh. He seems to believe in in the God of the Jews and and he respects their Jewish religion. And so as a result, uh, the Jews also hold this centurion in high regard and, and they respect him as well. And because of all this, this centurion was was able to send elders of the Jews to Jesus, probably as a way to show Jesus that, that this centurion is friendly to the Jews. And, and so this would help convince Jesus to come and, and heal the sick servant. Well, whether this was the intention or not, it worked. And we have here in verse six that it says, so Jesus went with them and he went to to heal the centurion's sick servant. But but the fascinating thing here in this passage is, is why all of this is happening in the first place that involves Jesus to take the time to go to this particular centurion's house to heal this one servant among many that this centurion probably had and, and whose, whose name we, we also don't know. Uh, he, now, this, this servant, he, he may have, have been Jewish, may very well have been a, a Jewish man, which, which is another reason why, why the centurion thought, thought of Jesus, uh, a, a Jewish man, to to come and, and heal his servant. Possibly, we, we don't know. But, but what we do know is that this particular servant was, was very special to this centurion. Luke tells us, The centurion valued this servant highly. Another translation reads that this servant was dear to his master. This was a a special servant. We have to understand at the same time here that this is actually an unusual relationship here uh, given the context of the time uh, to have this, this relationship between a master and servant a, the centurion and a servant in which, in which uh, the centurion valued this servant very highly. Because most, most master-servant relationships in this society uh, were not like this, especially in the military. Most servants were, were seen simply as dispensable, and, and masters could often be, be quite cruel and heartless towards their servants. Masters held the, the power of life and death over their servants. And in the Greek here, the, the word uh, we're, we're, we're translating as servant actually, actually can mean slave uh, and not so much servant. And, and a slave, a slave in, in this society was, was treated no different than an animal. We can can confirm some of this, Uh, uh, we know some of this from from some of the the ancient writings that we have dated back to to this time period and and even earlier. The great Greek philosopher Aristotle, he said that that there could be no friendship and no justice toward inanimate things, not even toward, toward a horse or an ox or a slave because master and slave were considered to have nothing in common. A slave, he said, Aristotle said, is simply a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. Another Roman writer during this ancient time period, Varro, uh, he, he wrote and maintained that, that the only difference between a slave and a beast and a cart was that the slave talked. This is what he wrote in his, in his writing. Well, this particular centurion that we have here in this passage today definitely had more respect for human life. And he cared especially for this, this particular servant. And he, he cared so much so that, that he was willing to go to a far extent to save this servant's life. But this also says something about the servant himself and, and the kind of person that he was. This relationship between master and servant here must have been a long and good one between this centurion and his servant for, for the this, this centurion to, to do what he's, he's doing for the servant here uh, to say that he's highly valued. And, and, and this relationship must have been built up over many years for the centurion to value this servant so highly means that this servant has been very faithful and very devoted to his master for a long time now earning the master's trust and respect this servant must have demonstrated consistently that that he knows how to keep a promise he knows how to carry out orders faithfully and, and diligently and, and effectively and so as a result, this centurion and servant must have clocked many life experiences together by now. They, they both have many stories to tell. Perhaps this particular servant saved this centurion's life in a, in a battle they were in. After all, the, these, these, were, these two men were, were are, are military men. They're soldiers, they're fellow soldiers, and and maybe maybe the centurion, the master here, sees himself as indebted to this servant because of of, of a past experience. I also suspect that, that the centurion has been able to entrust great responsibilities over the years to this servant, Who has been very careful and conscientious in managing these important jobs and and what's been committed to him in trust this servant has has never betrayed his master's confidence but has been loyal making him a fully trustworthy and reliable servant for this centurion to care this much for his servant that he's willing to go after Jesus himself to save his life means that, that this servant is, is in fact special. This servant is, is special. There, there's a relationship here going on here of, of knowing each other between master and servant that, that goes far back. It goes far back. And, and it's the servant's faithfulness his his constant devotion to his master in this master and servant relationship that's that's causing the master to do whatever it takes to save his life, to care for his, his servant so much. And and what happens in the end? What happens in the end? Well, the centurion succeeds. He succeeds. Jesus comes and he heals the servant, the servant does not die. He lives, it's good news. We're seeing the power of faithfulness at work here and and its presence and and its many benefits to a relationship. But this faithfulness is, is not just from the servant to the master, this faithfulness is also from the master to the servant the great effort and care and concern on display here in this story by the master by the centurion shows also his faithfulness and his devotion towards his servant who is dear to him who whom he he cares about deeply The centurion is is also devoted to his servant in faithfulness. That in this time of critical need for this lowly slave, the master shows that that this person is not dispensable. He is not someone who can just be replaced with with another servant, so to, to not waste any more time here. Not at all. The centurion's faithfulness to his servant brings out the great value for human life. And this honors God. This honors the creator of life. The fruit of faithfulness in the human heart, whether you are a high and powerful master and military commander, or whether you are a simple and lowly slave, faithfulness in your heart is something powerful it's it's a beautiful quality in the heart and Paul lists it here as as one of the fruit of the Spirit but look at what else this faithfulness brings out look at where it all leads The faithfulness of the servant to his master and the faithfulness of the master to his servant brings out also an amazing faith by the centurion. And it's a faith that that impresses even Jesus himself. Luke tells us that, that when Jesus was arriving at the house of the centurion to heal the servant, The centurion sent friends to stop Jesus from coming any closer. The centurion demonstrates his humility to Jesus and that he knows his place. He says to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, therefore I did not presume to come to you. But just say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion says, he too is a man under authority this powerful centurion knows what it means also to be a servant in relation to a master who is above him. He too knows how to show faithfulness as a servant, how to show loyalty and devotion to those in power above him. And here the centurion puts himself under Jesus's authority He makes himself Jesus' servant here. He says that he's not only a servant under Jesus' command, he is also a servant who is so far below Jesus as his master that, that he does not even deserve to have Jesus enter his house or to meet Jesus face to face. The centurion feels he has troubled Jesus enough already since Jesus has come all this way already to to the centurion's house. So being a military officer whose word is law, who just speaks and gives orders and then things immediately get done, this centurion asks, asks Jesus to do the same, to do this for his dying servant. Just say the word. Just say the word, Lord Jesus. Just say the word, my master, my my commander, and then my servant will be healed. The centurion believes wholeheartedly that Jesus is able to heal the servant. But not only this, he believes Jesus can do so from afar. He doesn't even have to see the servant. Jesus doesn't even have to be there in person, he believes. The centurion is telling Jesus that that he can make it real simple, real easy. All he has to do is say the word. The centurion believes this can happen, that Jesus can do this. And this is what impresses Jesus so much. This centurion is truly a man of of military precision here, military efficiency in in the full meaning of this and and how we use this term today. He asks Jesus to just just say the word, command command the order here, and and it will get done. Jesus is so impressed with this, so impressed at, at this man's faith, and, and let's not forget that this is a man who is a Gentile. He's not Jewish. This is a Gentile man, a, a, Roman, a Roman citizen, a, a Roman military officer, a, a military guy who's, who, who's, who's not Jewish. He's, he's a Gentile. And, and this is what adds to Jesus' amazement. And here we have, what, what, have Jesus' response. Jesus says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Wow. I mean, this is a huge statement here by Jesus. This centurion has just skyrocketed to to the top of the list here of of people of faith. And this is being spoken by by Jesus himself, decided by by Jesus himself. This centurion was a man of strong faith. He firmly believed that that Jesus could heal his servant, and he entrusted his servant's fate into Jesus' hands. This was literally a matter of life and death. The centurion in that moment devoted himself to Jesus as his master and higher authority, showing his faithfulness to Jesus. So when Paul, when the Apostle Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, which is it? Which is it here? Is it it faith or is it faithfulness that grows inside of us by God's renewing and empowering Spirit? Well, it appears here that, that it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and. There's actually beauty in the ambiguity here. We want God to grow a faith in us that believes in Jesus just like the centurion. And we also want God to grow in us a faithfulness like that of the centurion's servant and also like that of the centurion himself. But we see in our text today, most of all, how both faith and faithfulness develop within the context of a master-servant relationship. Jesus uses this kind of master-servant uh, illustration and in, in analogy in his, in his teachings to, to help illustrate our relationship to God. That God is a compassionate and caring and faithful master to us. And we are to be faithful servants to God, showing our devotion and our loyalty to him. And it's in this relationship that we grow in our faith towards God, our master, our our Lord, especially in times of urgency in times that that test our faith in god just like here in this situation like for this for the centurion here in this in this critical situation whose whose beloved servant is about to die these are the life experiences that shape us that test us that that grow our faith our trust and our belief in god but it's also in in the day-to-day. It's in the day-to-day happenings in our lives. It's not just in in the big times of crisis. It's on a daily basis that we also grow in our faith and and in our faithfulness to the Lord, like the centurion servant who, who consistently showed his devotion to his master as a faithful servant, So let us practice. Let us continue to to practice and to grow and and exercise in in our faith. Exercise our our faithfulness to the Lord, our our trust in God. This is the fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit that, that God grows in us abundantly. So let us show our our loyalty and devotion to God by putting our faith and our trust in Him. For as the writer of Hebrews says in in 11.6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And like a loyal servant, let us also, let also the fruit of faithfulness grow in us so we can be approved by God. And in the end, God will say this to us as we have in in Matthew chapter 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter now into the joy of your master. And this is all because of the faithfulness of God that he first shows us. The great extent to which God goes for us. To do what? To redeem us to bring us back to life, to bring healing to us, to renew us, to reconcile us to himself, also that that we can live with him and that life together with God can continue forever. Let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the faithfulness that you show to us. Lord, it's because of your faithfulness that we can know you. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you demonstrate all throughout your word, throughout your scriptures of just how faithful you are to us. And that this is such uh, an important fruit of the Spirit that that you want to grow in us, that that we can be faithful to you and and to others, and in our relationships. And this also, Lord, involves faith; it involves the the trust in you, knowing that that you are able that you are the one who can, who can heal. You're the one who can, who can bring redemption into our lives and, and new life, Lord. Give us, Lord, the faith of the centurion. Pray that we can have the same belief in you. Help our unbelief, God, especially in these times when, when we, know, we know that we need to turn to you. Help us, Lord, in this, that we can be faithful people, that we can be faithful servants to you that we can bring you glory and honor in what we do as you grow in us the fruit of of the fruit of faith the fruit of faithfulness and and all the fruit of the spirit that 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 we've been talking about recently that all of all of these these fruit lord can, can be growing in our hearts father we thank you for this time and and we we ask that that you continue to bless us as as we learn more about these things and as we think about these things and 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 lock them in our hearts we pray this in jesus name amen let's continue to meditate on god's word as we sing a responsive song followed by the doxology